Turn your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I titled my study this morning, The Thorn in the Flesh. And personally, I, I've so far been led over the last couple weeks now to, to just take a step back from the Gospel of Luke momentarily and just see if there is something that the Lord wanted me to share with you guys as he was sharing with me personally. And being right now that a few of my leaders got sick, I wanted to to do a study on what what it is to to go through suffering, and especially suffering with sickness, because I was reminded of Paul and how Paul had what we know to be what he called it the thorn in the flesh. And I felt led to, to kind of dive into what Paul was going through with the prayer and the intention that it would minister to, to us in this season. I, I don't know if you guys know anyone who ha- is sick right now, if you guys yourselves just recovered from being sick, but there, there is a lot right now going on when it comes to sickness. And I'm not one to promote fear. I always want to stay, stay away from that. But the reality is that the Lord allows us to go through these situations. He allows trials to, to happen to us. So it would be foolish of us to think that we're so above sickness, to think that we're so above uh, trials in our life, or even COVID and all these other things that we don't need to turn to the Lord for help when it comes to these things. So my, my prayer this morning is that the study would be, maybe today too, the Lord, you're in good health and this is awesome. Uh, but it's not just sickness here that we can glean from. But this is also talking about trials in our life, of how we deal with them. So I want to dive right into Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. And uh, follow along with me this morning. I'm going to read the portion of scripture that we're going to cover, and then we'll dissect the text. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 7, Paul writes, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take a pleasure in infirmities and the reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul writing right here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. You know, before I even just dissect the first verse, I, I want to be a little transparent with you guys this morning. When my leaders got sick, uh, as you can see, Lisette's not here this morning. My, my parents are out. Uh, I w- was like, Lord, uh, uh, I'm going to need help this Sunday. I need you. Uh, 
I need you to help me provide for the different areas that I need to get covered. And, and with that, you know, sometimes I, I, I talk to other brothers in the Lord when I, you know what, I just need a little bit of prayer encouragement right now. And, and talking to one of my, my good friends and just asking for prayer for, the, for this coming Sunday, one thing that I was really encouraged in was the, the reminder that, look, ministry and this church, the main focus is the word of God being taught. And all the other little things that sometimes we can get caught up in, whether it, it, it's it's the worship or the sound and the internet and the, the, the children's ministry and all those things that are very important. Those things, if they're not, they're not there, as long as the word is being taught to people and the word is being received by people, that is the most important thing. So here's a, a, another aspect of the word being the most important thing is you could have someone deliver like a pitcher, right? He throws the perfect pitch. But if the guy who's going to catch that pitch doesn't have his glove on, is not paying attention, looking up at the sun, he's not going to catch the ball. So there's kind of two aspects in there right now to, to what's happening in a Bible study. Is you have someone who's going to deliver the word, but you also have to have people who are going to be ready to receive the word and to catch it. Now, sometimes you have a, bit, a, a bad pitcher. There's, you get those every once in a while. But it, it works on both ends. So the word's got to go forth and be delivered, but it also has to be received. And, and I truly believe that everyone, when you're sitting in a Bible study, it's the Lord's sovereign guide, his sovereignty that brought you here this morning. So there's a reason that he wants you to be here. There's something that he has to say to you. And if that is being met in this ministry, I'm content. If that is the main thing that as, as a church, as a Bible teaching church that's supposed to be getting done, then I say praise the Lord. So, so with that, I, I, I was a little nervous this morning. I was like, man, my leaders are all sick. Lord, what are you doing? It's the, it, the devil's taking them away. But you know what? I say praise the Lord. Because God is allowing me and allowing you guys. Howard came here and helped me this morning. My sister is watching their kids right now. God is allowing us to be molded and shaped. And it's a blessing to see that, you know what? The Lord wants to speak to us now. So with that, now I'm reminded of Paul when he had weaknesses. Paul when he had infirmities in his life. A lot of people think that the infirmity that he had was, was a medical condition, and we'll get into that. So let's look at, at the first verse here, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 7. He says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, where Paul is at in his life right now, he's saying, look, there is something that was going to cause me to become prideful. And if you read the beginning of chapter 12, 
you'll realize Paul just finished explaining how he knew of a man who was caught up into heaven. And he talks about this man in the third person, but most people, including myself, believe he's actually referring to himself. There was a point in, in Paul's life when he went to go preach the gospel in Lystra. And when he did that, people became angry with him. So the, the, the people of that city, because he was preaching the gospel, took him outside of that city and they stoned him. They, they killed him, literally. And then the disciples came to his body, they prayed over him, and then Paul was resurrected back to life. Now people believe that, the scholars believe that when that happened, when he was killed, that he actually was caught up into the heavens and he saw visions and things that he said he would, it would be a sin for him to even speak of. Now because of this, Paul could have easily then taken pride in what the Lord had revealed to him. But he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to boast in the visions that God had given him. That word for exalted means to be lifted up to a prideful state. And that he was going to be exalted by the many heavenly visions. That's the revelations, the unveiling. When you think of the book of Revelations in the, at the end of the Bible, sometimes you think revelation means like Armageddon or like the tribulation, it's scary. But the revelation literally means the unveiling. It's like taking away the curtain, and it's the, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling of Jesus' full plan. Now, that's a little bit of what Paul was seeing here. Now, this is a warning for us this morning, a warning of the temptation to become prideful when, with the things that God has shown us. You see, there is a temptation for a, a young believer to think that when you first get saved and, and when you first start praying, at least it happened with me. Maybe you guys have, have experienced this where when you first start having that Holy Spirit speak to you, you start to experience, wow, this is awesome. The, God, the creator of the universe, can talk to me. And because of that, it, it might turn into all of a sudden you feel like you have this special secret relationship with God that nobody else has like you're you got it in with God and, and you, you can kind of it could lead you into a prideful place during my time in Bible college I took some classes which you listen to the Bible taught by Chuck Smith from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelations it's a very intense class takes four semesters to get through the whole Bible taught by Chuck Smith. And as I was diving into it, I loved it. I started to take these rigorous notes that we were required to take, uh, just notes, but I would begin to take these really detailed notes from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. And I had it all saved on my laptop. And by the end of that class, I was like, I walked out of that, those four semesters thinking, I know the Bible. I know the Bible like the back of my hand. Anyone could come at me with Bible questions, and I, I got it all. It's all in me. I, I know it. I don't even need the Bible anymore, almost. And then I remember one day I went to uh, the movies in, in, in Brea. There's a warning for those 
people in Brea. <laughs> I had my, my, my old Corolla, had the laptop in there, left the, the car in the, in the parking lot, the garage, came back to it, and all of a sudden it looked like someone was in my car, and I said, hey, what's going on here? I started looking through my stuff, and I see my laptop is gone. And all my notes that were in my laptop, all of all the Bible studies that Chuck Smith taught, gone. And then I learned that I knew nothing about the Bible. <laughs> I thought I had it all, but in reality it was all typed up, but not, it wasn't all saved in my heart, in my mind. And I think the Lord allowed that to happen because he wanted to humble me. Yeah, there was a lot of things that I kept with me in my heart and in my mind and memories. But, but it showed me, that you know what? The, the type of lifestyle that I need to have is going to be someone who is always in the word, always seeking to grow. Now, Paul could have easily boasted, more easily than most people. Remember, Paul, he met with Jesus, and more than once, on the road to Damascus, right? He, he went out to go capture Jews who were believing in Jesus originally, because he was, he was, before he became a Christian, he wanted to kill all the Christians. And so on the road to Damascus, he, he went with letters on the way, to capture the Christians, and Jesus met him on the road, right? The, the light shined so bright, it blinded him. He, he fell down, and, and God, Jesus himself, began to speak to him. He said, Saul, Saul, it, it's hard for you to kick against the goads, isn't it? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, it's I, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then at that point, he converted. He said, okay, what do you want me to do? And he started to follow after Jesus. Complete radical life change over in one day. That was the first time he met with Jesus. And then later, Paul would be given the gospel through Jesus himself. And you learn about this in the book of Galatians, which by the way, men, we're going to be going through the book of Galatians on Friday nights. But Paul went into the wilderness of Arabia for years, he spent time sitting at Jesus' feet, and Jesus gave him the gospel one-on-one, -on -one, personally. And then later on, Paul would go throughout his journeys from Israel to Greece to Rome, preaching the gospel, seeing people convert. Miracles were performed through him. There was a guy named Eutychus who, who fell asleep during one of Paul's preachings, fell out of the window, died, and then Paul went outside, prayed over him, and resurrected the man. It was all through the power of the Holy Spirit. It was all God. But if anyone had a reason to boast, it would have been Paul. So now with all this that was going on in Paul's life, he says, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. You see, Paul realized that there was a trial in his life. And he realized what God was allowing and why it was good for him. If you look at that, that first verse in verse 7, he says, And lest, meaning, in order that I would not become prideful. A thorn in the flesh. And the word for a thorn here, it, it's literally like a stake, like, kind of like a tent stake. It's, 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 a, it's not like a little little pico that you're like, oh, like it hurts your finger. This is like a large tent stake, 
a thorn in the flesh, and that flesh is his physical body he's talking about here. Uh, you, you've heard me often refer to this as my bag of meat, that you know we have this body that we're in, that thorn in the flesh was in him. And then a messenger of Satan, what is that? The, the word for messenger is literally a, an angel or a demon of Satan was sent to buffet him. And the word for buffet means to strike, to punch. This is the way that they struck Jesus in the face with the bag on his head before they crucified him. That's what the word buffet means. It's not buff- when I first read it, I was like, the buffet? he's going to buffet me? No, it's to buffet me. It's this, this punching. So Paul felt that this thorn in the flesh was literally like a demonic oppression hitting him in the face. And he realized, look, the reason why this was happening was to prevent me from becoming prideful. It's like, wow. And, and I realized the spiritual realm right here, it's directly impacting the natural realm. I, I think sometimes we think that the natural realm and the spiritual realm often work separately. But I see them often working together. And I, I also think sometimes that we get caught up in believing that there is a demon behind every disease that's out there. And I, and I don't find that to be true also. I, I do see that we also live in, in a natural world. In Paul's case, however, he says this was directly from a demon. And, and that's something that's kind of can be frightening, I think, t- to people. As believers, we don't need to be afraid because when we look at the the account of Job, before Satan can attack Job, Satan had to go to God and ask permission for God to allow Job to go through this trial. You don't have to turn there, but in Job chapter 2, you can read about this. Satan struck Job from head to toe with boils. And there was these, these gross, pus-filled boils all over Job's body. So he would grab a, a piece of broken pottery, and he would begin to scrape his skin so that he could pop all these boils, so that they could, he could purge himself of the pus that was inside of them. And this was after his family was killed, his possessions were taken, and then his wife, to make things even worse, came to him and said, are you still trying to maintain your integrity, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job replies, he says, should we accept the good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? And the answer is we should accept both from the Lord. I realize, look, Satan, he wants to attack our bodies, our physical bodies. And why does he want to do that? It's because your bodies are the temple of God. When you became a believer, the Holy Spirit then made your body his home. And that's something that only Christians have. That the the God of our religion comes and makes your body his home. Which is amazing. Because now you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So Satan hates this. And Satan wants to take the instruments of God, your body... And destroy them. 
So what is Satan going to do? He's going to cause suffering in our bodies. He's going to try to bring us down. And why does he want to do this? He wants to do this because he wants to make us impatient of God's will in our life. He wants to get us angry with God. He wants to keep us away from abiding with Jesus. Now, can we accept this this morning? Can we accept this truth? Or is this hard for us to take in? Because sometimes, honestly, it is. When we're, going, when we're in that place of suffering, sometimes we ask, why does God allow this suffering to exist? Now, God forbid one of our loved ones should become sick. God forbid some of the worst tragic things happen to our lives. But if those tragic things happen to you, if they happen to me, can we still worship God? Can we still say like Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, I, I, I want to say, yeah, I would say that. But I, don't, I haven't experienced that crazy trial yet. Yes, there's been some trials. But I haven't exper- experienced the, the type of persecution that Job went through. And I don't, I don't see it necessary. Lord, let me know what Job went through. Please, Lord, have your grace in my life. But whatever tests, whatever trials that God desires for me to go through, I don't want to run away from them either. If I believe God is allowing something in my life, I realize it's for a reason. And people struggle with this. Not only in sickness, but in other trials in life. People have been hurt in this life by other people. And then they hold it against God. Why did you allow that person to do this to me? And to that person, uh, I say, look, I don't, I don't have all the answers. But I know that there is a God who loves you, who desires to heal you, and, and desires to give you peace. And I know a man named Jesus Christ, he suffered for you and wants to give you fulfillment and a purpose through suffering. And he's real and he's available to you now. Tell me, what sin, what vice, what debauchery can give your suffering meaning? None. But God can. Because God works all things for good for those who love God. In verse 8, he says, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now, Paul, with this thorn in his flesh, there's a few theories of what that thorn in the flesh may have been. Some even say that maybe it was a sin that Paul struggled with. And there's some people who believe that it was a a type of malaria, a physical disease that he was struggling with. But Spurgeon, he said that he found that most people think Paul was referring to the same thing that the the reader was going through. So if if someone was struggling with sin, when they were, oh, Paul was struggling with sin, that's what he's talking about. If someone was struggling with illness, he was like, oh, Paul was struggling with illness, that's what it was. We don't really know, but... I personally, just as a side note, I, I kind of lean towards it looks like it was some sort of physical, actually an eye infection. You learn about that in the book of Galatians. There's people who, when they study the word, they, they realize Paul struggled with some sort of bacterial eye disease. 
And in the book of Galatians, he would tell the Galatian church, he would say, look, my illness was a trial to you, but you did not treat with me with contempt or scorn. And the reason why he said that is because when you have that chronic bacterial disease, sometimes it, it kind of looks gross. He might have been embarrassed about the way he looked. But he thanked the Galatians for treating him with love still. I, I'm reminded uh, of my pastor, Raul Reese, over at Calvary Chapel in Golden Springs. Because I would see him teach his church three Sunday mornings, three services, a Wednesday night service. And there would be times that he would go up to the pulpit and, and he would have a seizure. Now this type of seizure that he would go through came from his time being in Vietnam. And, and when he would have this seizure, it, he would just, he wouldn't be able to, to, to talk. Uh, he, he wouldn't really be able to, to speak, but he would just kind of have to wait. And he was very aware of what was going on in the room. But when it happened during a Bible study, he would, he would just kind of stay quiet for a while and people would begin praying in the, in, the, in the crowd. And sometimes it would be hard for him to start the Bible study again. Sometimes his assistant pastor would come out and literally finish the Bible study for him. And, and I know that, well, for me, myself, that would have to be something hard to go through. There would, he would tell us that people would come and tell him, hey, maybe you need a step down. Maybe you need, a, your, this is God's way of calling you out of the pulpit. And I can't imagine what he goes through before he teaches the next time. But I still saw him every Sunday and every Wednesday going out to go teach the word. And most of the times he wouldn't have the seizure. And to me that ministered to me. It showed me, look, he, he wasn't going to allow that, that thorn in his flesh to stop him from doing what God called him to do. And he knew what God called him to do. So what does Paul do? He says he, he pleaded with the Lord three times. The word for pleading, it's, it's begging. It's coming to the Lord with prayer. So here's an important part of, of our text this morning, some, an example for us to follow. One thing we must do when we are in a place of suffering is we need to pray to God. We should be in constant prayer, first of all, the Bible teaches us, to pray without ceasing. And you say, well, how do you pray without ceasing? Well, when I'm going out and about, I try to allow Jesus to be in the situation with me wherever I'm going. As I'm walking down the street, I'm, I'm driving on the freeway. All right, Lord, just be with me on this next air conditioning service call I'm about to take. Just let it go smooth. Or then I start talking about situations in my life. Lord, what do you think about what that person said to me? Sh should I say anything? Is, is just my pride getting built up because they spoke to me kind of disrespectfully? You know, I just start talking to the Lord. Like, Lord, do I need to stand up? Do I need to have boldness? And, and that's prayer without ceasing. And prayer allows us to be honest with God. Prayer allows God's desires to begin to mold and shape our desires. See, prayer doesn't change God because God is unchangeable. But prayer changes us. And aren't you guys glad that God doesn't change? Because wouldn't it be terrible if you could just, everyone praying to God can somehow change God and all, people would just be dying left and right. 
Because people are like, Lord, just strike that man down and they're dead. Right? So God doesn't change. He's patient. He's loving. He's kind. He's merciful. He's just. And if God could grow tired because of our complaints to him, man, that would be sad. But I'm glad he doesn't grow tired because of our complaints. Paul asked three times. And I'm reminded of this acronym. You've heard me say it before, the PUSH acronym, P-U-S-H. It's pray until something happens. Because, look, God is either going to change the situation or he's going to change your heart. Because sometimes our heart's in the wrong place. Like, Lord, I just need this relationship to work out. Lord, I just need this job to work out. Lord, I, I, I need the finances to be there. And we want the situation to change, but God says, no, 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 I want your heart to change because this situation that you're in, you're going to be in it for a while. And it's like, what? And God wants us to be content with what he's given us. See, Paul pleaded and the Lord responded. And I'm wondering if that first time Paul prayed, he was like, Lord, I'm going through this eye disease. I'm going through this thorn in the flesh, what it might might be. Just take it away. And then he doesn't hear from the Lord. And he's like, hey, like, what's going on? And he goes to the Lord again. Lord, like, come on, like, please. Like, th- I'm getting embarrassed now with people. They're saying there's like pus coming out of my eyes. Please take this away. Nothing happens. And then the third time he comes to the Lord, he starts to really beg. Lord, please, I'm begging you, take this from me. And then in verse nine, we continue. And he said to me, Now the Lord is speaking back to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The word for grace here, it means unmerited favor. It's a kindness given to one that has not been deserved. I asked my dad, how are you doing, dad? I call him up, how's it going? And he always responds, better than I deserve. I'm like, man, I try to adopt that mentality. Because without God's grace in my life, if I really got what I deserved, I'd be judged. And, and, and so many times in our life, we just want God's mercy, God's grace. But then we want judgment for other people. We're like, oh, Lord, just judge that guy. But if we got what we deserved, man, we'd be, we wouldn't even be here. Because everything good in our life is God's grace. His gifts from above. That's all God's grace. We don't deserve it. So I, I don't try to approach my life and my relationship with God as, come on, God, I've done all these good things for you. Don't I deserve a little bit of something? God's not a vending machine. We don't put money in and he gives us blessings back. It's not like that. It doesn't work that way. The goodness that God gives us is for free. And you simply have to be open to receive it. And what has God given us? When I'm thinking about that, first and foremost, the most important thing is salvation. 
God saved us. He sent his son Jesus on the cross to die for our sins so that we can live with him in eternity because we were on our way to hell already. So God gave us that salvation available to us if we simply receive him. His love is grace towards us. The truth that God loves you just the way you are is amazing to me. He really loves you. He likes you. And sometimes we think that God's love is, is the way of a human love. And we relate to him that way. But no, but God's love is so much higher and better than that. God has justified us as believers. Meaning we live our life just as if we've never done anything wrong. That's how God views us. When we ask God to come into our life. He's redeemed us, meaning he has bought us. We are owned by the Lord, by Jesus' blood. And then God anoints you guys, meaning he sets you apart for your own specific mission, for your calling. He gives us truth. In a world where everything is so hard to find out what is real, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's the helper now to help us navigate through this life. And I realize, look, Jesus is everything we need. Jesus is everything we need. He's sufficient for us. When you look at that verse again, he says, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. That word for sufficient, it's tied in with the meaning of contentment. For my strength, and the word for strength is the, the dynamis, meaning the, the dunamis, which is the same word that we get our word dynamite from. My dynamite power, my strength, is made perfect or complete and whole in our weakness. And that weakness, it, again, it's that disease, that infirmity, that sickness. Because we live in a fallen world. Now, something to, to note, we don't complete God. So sometimes we think, oh, well, God created human beings because he was lonely. But that's not true. God was perfect. Him, before he created the world, before he created the heavens and time itself, God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit all existed in one eternal presence. And they were perfect. And they were complete. And they didn't need us to make themselves feel that love. They made humankind because they're good. The same way that a husband and wife decides, look, we want to have a son. We want to have a daughter because we want them to experience love. That's why God created mankind. Now, notice he didn't say to Paul when Paul was praying, Lord, just take away this thorn in the flesh from me. Notice he didn't say this to Paul. He didn't say, look, Paul, what you need to do is you need to just envision a positive attitude in your life. You just need to have some positive thinking and you're going to begin to live out that positive lifestyle. You need to channel your inward power or you need to have a support group that's going to come alongside of you 
and, and, and encourage you in a positive way. And he also didn't say, well, Paul, look, if you would just have enough faith, you wouldn't be going through this right now. He didn't say that either. No, but God was keeping Paul's focus on God, on the Lord. So it's not this secret message of, of look, if you just kind of think about it and focus on it, it's going to become realized. No, that's not the, what Christ taught. Again, he says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, look, we like to bag, brag about our strengths, don't we? It's human nature. I like to, to brag about whatever strength that is for you in your life. I don't want to dive too into it. Call, start calling people out. <laughs> But Paul said, look, I bring up my weaknesses to you so that the dynamic, that dynamite power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, when people are so impressed by the instrument, they forget the God who is empowering that vessel, that person. Because sometimes people get so enamored by, man, like that guy's such a good speaker. That guy's such a great uh, administrator he's such a great leader he does his hair really nice and people become so enamored by whatever the instrument is that they forget that god is the one who blesses and who gives the power and this is why the bible teaches us that god uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise this is why god picks a guy like me who we ex-drug addict, little rave kid to come out and, and start a Bible study and a church in Glendora, right? I, I, I can't believe that people will come listen to me, but I realize that, okay, because it's not me. It's God who's doing the work. It's God who's empowering so that people get fed. And that's the same in your life. Have you ever seen God use someone who by all means isn't qualified? You want to know why? It's because God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. And that's true in your life. So sometimes you're going to have something come down in your life where God, you're going to feel like, okay, I think God is calling me to this, but I don't have the power. I don't have the strength or the ability. But if God's called you to it, he's going to provide a way. Because where God guides God provides. In verse 10, he says, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong, he says. You see, look at these are, now he goes over the list of things that he was enduring, the infirmities, the sicknesses, the disease. And he says the reproaches, meaning, look, those are insults. Those are emotional injuries that sometimes we take on because we live in a world full of people who can be mean. He says in needs, meaning the things that are necessary to survive in, in the provision that he needed. In persecutions, 
Now, Paul and the early church experienced some very extreme persecution. When you look at all the, the disciples, the apostles, almost all of them were martyred. They were all killed for preaching the gospel. Now, we here in America today are blessed that I don't live in fear that someone's going to come in here and try to take my life for preaching the gospel. Is that a possibility? Absolutely. But the, the Christians back in their day and age, that was happening left and right. That was a very real reality. Which is also a proof that the gospel that they were preaching, they didn't make it up. They didn't just create a lie. Because you don't die for something that you believe is a lie. But if you believe it to be true, you'll teach it. You'll put your life on the line for it. As even Paul the Apostle did. He was taken out to a Roman road and they cut his head off. Now, it is in the seasons of distresses and the anxieties, the the word for uh, the affliction, it's it's a tight spot that we can then say, look, I want to... I'm content with the Lord because he's allowing me to go through this. For what? For a reason. For Christ's sake. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And this is true. Often in a trial, a person or the church, they thrive spiritually. So look, the early church, when they were under major persecution, millions or or thousands of people were coming to know Jesus because the church was under persecution. But when the church began to become popular, where persecution was no longer an issue, the church began to allow compromise in their walk. And that's true even in our lives. I don't know if you guys have noticed in your life, in your walk, but when you go through something really hard or a trial in life, you tend to cling to God. and You get really close to him. But then when that trial leaves and things start being good and you're, you're back to normal again, suddenly it's a lot easier to not read your Bible anymore. It's a lot easier to not go to prayer. And because things are good, why do I need God, right? But God wants us to have a relationship with him that's not based on our outward circumstances. But that's based on on a true relationship, a true desire to get to know him. And it is in this season that we're in now as a church that I believe that we can be living sticks of dynamite out there. Because when we are weak, God is strong. Look, so what do we do then when we come into these trials, when we come into sicknesses because it's coming if you're not in a trial today there's a trial on the way or perhaps you just came out of a hard trial or perhaps you're in one right now so these are again these reminders of what we can do when we're suffering number one immediately submit yourself to god submit yourself to the lord have that prayer with him lord Whatever you want to do. Even Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was taken to the cross, sweating drops of blood, 
said, Lord, God, Father, if there's anything, any way that, that you can bring salvation to the world, any other way besides me taking this cup, the cross, the crucifixion, please let, let us go through that path. And he says, but nonetheless, not my will, but your will be done. He submitted himself to the Father as we should. And then secondly, we should, when we're in suffering, thank God in trials. When you start to thank God for all the blessings that he's given you in life, it starts to change your, your situation, your heart, your mind. When you realize, look, that there is blessing in this life that we have that God has given to us. Even if it's just the blessing of the hope of eternity with him, that the trial is going to end, that the suffering is going to end. Thirdly, spend time in God's word. Because the word is what fulfills us. It gives us that peace. Now, in, in this part right here, there's been times in my life when I've been so sick with a fever that I, I couldn't look at, at a computer screen. My eyes were burning so much that, that, I, that I wasn't physically able to do that, which is an extreme condition. And at that time, I had to then trust and rest in God's grace. I had to say, okay, God, I, I can't do my reading right now because my eyes are burning so bad. So I, I would just rest. And God allows for that. God allows you to rest in him, rest in his peace. And lastly, fourthly, glorify God in trials. Meaning, look, if God is allowing that situation in your life, that trial, then like Paul did, continue to be used by him. Continue to allow the Holy Spirit to flow through you so that you're still doing what God has called you to do so that you can live that purpose-filled life, so you're not feeling discontent in your walk. And, and with all these things, I'm encouraged by Paul's distress. I'm encouraged by that, look, here's a man of God, and he's going through some, a trial in his life. It reminds me that, that I am not exempt from trials in my life. Because sometimes we think that if you're doing good, if you're walking with the Lord, then good things are going to happen to you. And if you're doing bad and you're a sinner, then bad things are going to happen to you. But that's not how life works sometimes. Sometimes we see the sinners being blessed. And sometimes we see men of God and women of God going through some hard trials. And you can wonder, God, why are you allowing this? And those are the things that I have to fall back. When you come into a question where you don't know the answer, because there's a lot of the questions that I have when it comes to spiritual matters. When I come to a place where I don't know the truth, where I don't know the reality, I, have to, I fall back on what I do know. I fall back on, on the truth that I know that God is a God who's good. A God who sees all things. He knows all things. A God who's all loving. 
a God who has a plan and who's sovereign, who's all-powerful in my life, and who's working everything out, all things together for good for me and for you guys. So when I fall back on those things, suddenly peace comes into my life. So we can continue in this new year just looking forward to what God has in store for us. Because if he's allowing these trials in our life, I know it's for a reason. And that gets me excited. Lord, what are you going to do now? What do you want to do, Father, with this church, with your people? And we submit ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, your will be done. Let's pray.